Come on, the people of God said, amen, amen. I'm so glad that you are carving out some time to gather together uh, here at Hill City Church. Uh, my name is Charlie. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, my wife, Nicole, who you saw earlier, and I, we have the great honor and privilege of pastoring uh, this church. And so we'd love to say, hey, love to say what's up. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and take your seats. Uh, we're going to dive into God's word uh, together. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up? Uh, would you open them up to Ephesians uh, chapter 3? I, every week I do this. Students, middle school, high school, if you're here, would you sneak out right now? Uh, we got Hill City students happening, and we want you to be a part. I'm so sorry, guys. I just, I forget every week. I get caught up in the spirit. We'll blame the spirit. Got to get a, something. But, oh, well. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, if you've got your, uh, your Bibles, open them up. If not, turn them on. Man, but before we go any, any further, I do want to say, man, just a huge thank you uh, to Pastor Deshaun just for the message that he brought uh, last week. I, I don't know about you, but I am, I am grateful, grateful for uh, Pastor Deshaun Washington. Man, not, he's not just part of the team here. He's not just on staff here. Uh, man, he is my friend. I, I just genuinely love him. Uh, he has the ability of making things better. I love listening to the way in which he, he hears from the Lord, the way in which he, he engages in the text. I'm just so, so grateful for the gift uh, that, is, uh, that is him and that he got a chance to deposit uh, that last week. And I know you were, you were pastored well. Also want to just say to the moms out there uh, that are here, that are with us today, moms, we love you. Without you, we couldn't do anything. And so you just need to know that. Moms, you're the real MVP. Dads know it regardless of how much we try to front like we don't. We know it. We need you. And I, I love my mama, and I love my baby's mama, and uh, all of that. But I also want to say this. We recognize that, that Mother's Day, maybe today for you this Mother's Day, uh, maybe this is the first uh, Mother's Day that has, is hitting your life in, in which you maybe lost your mom. And so you're having to navigate today and navigate the, the weight of those emotions and Man, we wanted to just say to you, we, we see you, and we're, we're here. When we say Happy Mother's Day, we recognize that not only is it a great moment of celebration for us, but, but some of us, there's an echo. There's an echo of, of desiring maybe to, to have that, that title and that reality in your life, and it just hasn't happened yet or in the way that you were, were hoping. And maybe there's been tragedy along the way and loss of children. And, uh, so maybe motherhood for you is a, a place of, of pain and um, I just want you to know, listen to me, we, we have space. Two things can be true at once. We can celebrate with you, and we also can say, hey, we see you, and we acknowledge that this is a difficult day. And can I just say this? If you're in the room, and maybe, maybe Mother's Day is a hard day for you, why don't you just take some of the macaroons that are out there too? Because macaroons will make everything um, better. And so we got macaroons for moms, but listen, if Mother's Day is a tough day for you, I'm, I'm saying this jokingly, but also serious as someone who eats their feelings. And so get you a macaroon or four and, and feel better uh, about today. I also want to just confess to you in church because it's what we should do. I was going to tell you that we brought those macaroons back from Paris, in which, which I was reminded that uh, it is not a good virtue to be a liar and also to be a pastor. So I, I can report to you uh, with, with confidence that we brought those macaroons all the way uh, from Georgetown. And so uh, Ephesians... <laughs> Chapter 3 is where we are uh, in the Bible. Y'all ready for God's word? Now, nah, come on. Are y'all ready for God's word? All right, let's get into it. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have 
heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister to according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. And this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, so that I do not ask you to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. Weekly, God, we are reminded that your word is a lamp unto our feet, and it is indeed a light unto our path. And so, God, I pray today that your word would do what we can't. Change us. Challenge us. Rebuke us. Lead us into the future that you have prepared for us, and let us go of the past that we cling to for far too long. Let us hear from the Spirit of God this morning. God, I pray that you would let your word plant deep, deep roots in the hearts and lives of your people. God, we'll be quick to give you all the praise. We'll be quick to give you all the glory. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. A couple things before we kind of dive into unpacking this text that I want us to be aware of. And it's, the first is this. In the first two chapters, as you would sort of read along and as you would sort of see Paul unpacking just his work and sort of getting started, Paul has this rhythm of, of talking about God as like the central figure of all of the work happening in the book of Ephesians, in the life of this church and in the life of the believers. He says this is God. This is God's doing through Christ by way of the Spirit. You see that rhythm sort of happening, that it's God's activity in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. That rhythm is there in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, but in chapter 3, Paul begins something that I want us to sort of take note of, but I also want us to get to the place where we have the courage enough to apply this to our life. And it's this thought. As you see Paul starting out in chapter 3, he's actually expressing the role in which he plays in the work and the plan of God. The role that he has. The grace that has been given to him. The assignment that is on his life. And so here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What is the purpose and the plan of God on your life and on mine. Yes, God is doing the heavy lifting. Yes, God is at work in and among us. Aren't you glad that God is at work? But let's not for a moment think that our job is to just be spectators, to just be commentators, that we're supposed to just observe the plan of God unfolding 
in our midst, but we are to participate in it. We're to find what's the grace on our life. We're to find what's the calling and the purpose on our life. The other thing that I want you to see is that Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. Paul's in prison, and he's thinking about the church that he helped establish in Ephesus. So listen to me. You and I can discover the will and the way of God, the purpose and the plan of God on our life, not just in seasons of leisure, not just of times of relaxation. Nicole and I are coming off of a vacation that we got a chance to take, and we charted out the number of days. This is the longest that her and I had ever been on a trip together since we got married. We take sort of shorter jaunts here and there, but how many know once you get kids, to get away for about 10 days, that's a miracle of God. And thanks be to my mother. (laughs) And so we got away. And and can I just tell you, I feel very refreshed. I am am filled with cappuccinos and baguettes. That's me right now. (laughs) I didn't step on the scale before I left. And bless God, I didn't step on the scale when I got home. I feel great about myself, friends. I, I, we had a great time. It, 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 somebody has asked me after the first service, they're like, what was the, your favorite part? <laughs> My favorite part is that the kids weren't there. That was the favorite part. I, I was great. I was Paris. Who cares? Like I could have been anywhere. Could have been in Lorton, for God's sake, and just without the kids, and we'd have been fine. It was a great time, but we found ourselves getting refreshed, and you start dreaming. You start thinking about things. You talk about stuff. You're planning for things. Just get a sense of excitement when you, when you have these moments of, of relaxation and rest. It's been the rhythm in our marriage that whenever Nicole sort of, whenever we kind of get away, we kind of start getting a sense of, man, what is God saying to us afresh? What is God saying to us kind of new? It's just been the way that things have, have happened for us. It happened again on our trip. We're like, man, I, we're excited. And I, I want to encourage you that God can give you vision for your life and God can unfold purpose and plan for you and destiny on your life, not just when you're on vacation or in seasons of leisure, but God can do it in the middle of a pit. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison between people that are waiting to be executed and others who are are, are criminals. Here he is creating an uprising wherever Paul goes. When Paul preaches the gospel, I've heard people say this for for years, that he did one of two things. He started a revival or he started a riot. This was the fruit of Paul's ministry. He was either going to have revival or there was going to be riot. The message in which he is preaching, the gospel that we're unfolding right here, is undermining the way in which they had been raised, the way in which they had thought, everything that they embraced. And so Paul's preaching this gospel, and there's an uproar. And the Roman citizens, they're like, Mm-mm, we're not playing this game. And Paul's in prison. Even in prison, he's thinking about ways to shepherd and pastor and lead and guide others. Man, I just think that's something we're supposed to notice, and I think it's something we're supposed to pay attention to. Because I think our lives are supposed to be constructed and molded in that same fashion. That I'm thinking about the purpose and plan in God on my life, not just in days when it's easy, but also in seasons when it's difficult. Can I talk to the person in the room that maybe you've given up on the purpose and the plan of God for your life? Maybe you've surrendered it because something else seemed more convenient. Maybe you let go of it because you were in a difficult season and you didn't know if God was going to come through the way that he had promised and you got tired in the waiting rather than taking from the Apostle Paul that learning the season and the recipe of being content in all seasons. Friend, it's not too late. You haven't missed it. Get back in the game. The purpose and the plan of God on your life 
you can't run from it. Some of you know this. It will chase you down. So right now, let me just pause the service and let me just pray over you. God, would you chase down every person that thought they could hide from your purpose and your plan and your will and your way? Would you wake them up at 2.30? Yes, God, 2.30 in the morning. Steal their sleep, God. Make them restless at work. Make them restless on their day off. In Jesus' name, amen. I want the Spirit of God to provoke you to follow him. Those of you that thought you could sit on the sidelines and it'd be okay, I pray that I pray that, that, would, that would be taken, that opportunity would be taken from you. Can't do that. We got to get in the game. Apostle Paul lays that out really well for us. The other thing that I want us to see before we get into really unpacking the text is there's a word that's used over and over again in this passage, mystery. Greek word for there is mysterion. And for us, if we're not careful, when we think about mystery, we'll forget that there's a way in which Paul's talking about it that's a little bit different than ours. Whenever I see and think about the word mystery, I think in terms of, of something that might be um, obscure, dark, hard to figure out. I'll date myself a little bit, but I always think of that, that one show in the late 80s, early 90s, Unsolved Mysteries. You ever see that show? Really strange uh, host. Had a very interesting voice. I always wondered if that was like, like it was his real voice or if it was like a, like a practice voice. Because I would always think, I'm like, man, what's it like to sit at breakfast with that guy? Maybe it was the lighting. Maybe the way everything was shot. Maybe it's the way they told the stories. Or maybe it was like at the end, they would tell you of this sort of like dark thing that's happening, a crime that's been committed. And then he would go, and the person is still at large. So the next three days of your life, you're all wondering if it's your next door neighbor or not. But mystery is the way that, that Paul's talking about it. Isn't this sort of unsolved Mysteries dark and obscure. It's talking about a secret that had been hidden for a period of time but is now made known. Another way to look at it is for a while, God was playing his, his hand close to the vest. It wasn't just a people that we see in the Old Testament that God was concerned with. But God was concerned with the entire world, all people. Not just one group but all groups. Now Paul, his life, his ministry is actually to unfold and make known this mystery of God, this plan that God had always had, that the good news of Jesus, the saving knowledge of Jesus is not just for the people of God, but it's for the Gentiles. And it's also for whosoever will. It's for everyone. This is the mystery of God that is now unfolding and Paul takes this mystery and he shares the gospel really in, in three sort of ways you see this folded in uh, verses 8 um, through 10 and, and let's just look at these real quick the first one is this making known Christ's riches to the Gentiles this is one of the things that Paul does when you and I whenever we share the gospel whenever we share the good news we should share about the riches that come to us in Christ Jesus and here they are let's rehearse them again resurrection from the death of sin don't put that like third on the list. Yeah, Jesus just wants to give you peace. No, no, he wants to save your butt from hell. The death and the penalty of your sin and mine, Jesus has taken from us. That's the best thing going for us, friends. Paul unpacks this. He says it's the resurrection from the death of sin. Victorious enthronement with Christ in the heavenlies. Reconciliation with God. That we are incorporated into the family of God. 
The end of hostility, beginning of peace happens in our life. One of the things I, I pray for us as a church is that we would reclaim a little of this evangelistic zeal that Paul had. I think it's real easy for us to, to be the sort of Christians that come and see and don't go and do or go and tell. I think it's very easy for us to just kind of get into a rhythm where we come in and we worship and we're encouraged and we're taught and we sit under phenomenal preaching. We sit under phenomenal preaching. Amen. Good job. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. It's very easy for us to do that and we take and we apply it to our lives. Some of us, if we're not careful, we read the Bible or we get into sermons like this and we're like, Charlie, just get to the point where you make the application. You want the shortcut. And I'm saying to you that the process of digging into the word, the process of sitting under the presence of God, the process of, of showing all of this is part of what is forming us, but we're not intended just to take it all in and never give it out. I love things like Serve Day on Saturday. I hope you could be a part of it. But I also hope that you are taking opportunities in your daily life to share the gospel. Can I just say this to you? Practice in your family. Parents, share the gospel with your kids. You're like, I thought that's what y'all do in Hill City Kids. Yes, it is. But parents, participate. Be part of it. Our goal, our desire is that we would actually be here to strengthen the hands of our parents as they're raising their, their families in the way of Jesus. Now, we're not an outsource. And we're, we're here to, to help you. We're here to come alongside you. Man, share the gospel with your family. Talk about the good news. Talk about the gospel between, between husband and wife. Now, let me just give a disclaimer to the husbands here. I've learned this in my, in my 21 and, and some change years being married. The moment of an argument is not the time to begin quoting scripture. That is not the precise moment. In your heart, you might feel provoked by a spirit to do that, but it's not the Holy Spirit, okay? But what would it look like for, for husband and wife, for brother, sister, for friends to gather around coffee and just talk about the Bible, reading the Bible together as a church? And what would it look like if that found its way around your dinner table in your conversation, when you're riding on the way to school, when you're in the car? over the phone, like, hey, let's just get a passion for this. And here's what I know. Our passion for others to know the gospel will only be if you and I have a, pa a passion to intake the gospel. So as we're, as, we're, as, we're in, as we're taking it in, we also need to be giving it out. The other thing that Paul does is he makes known the mystery, this mystery to all men. Here's what I love is that when Paul talks about this, he's not using sort of language in the Greek that talks about oration. He's talking about enlightenment. If you look back at the way in which he unfolded this early on, he says, I, I pray that the, that the eyes of your spirit, that your eyes would be opened, that they would be enlightened, that you would see, that you would know all of what God is doing. And so the way in which Paul is gospeling is it's not that he's just preaching a sermon. See, many of us, we, we don't share the, our faith. We don't share the good news. We don't share the gospel because many of us are like, ah, I'm not wired to like preach and I don't want to be preachy towards people. Fine. Take Paul's approach. Paul's approach is not this sort of one, two, three points, although three points are great, and we know that. But Paul is, is actually wanting them to have this sort of aha moment. And what this is doing for Paul is he's actually attaching this to his own salvation experience. 
if you're not familiar with, with Paul, Paul's name wasn't always Paul, it was Saul. And Saul was a terrorist. Saul was attacking the church. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the church. He's on his way to carry some of them out. Acts chapter 9, you can read this story. He's then confronted by a great light, knocked off of his animal, and then Jesus says to him, why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting me? In that moment, Paul has this encounter with God that blinds him and at the same time allows him to see. Now, physically, in the natural, he was unable to see. The bright light was so impactful to his eyes, it created scales. But the scales fall off, and he can see what happens to him physically is also indicative of what's happening to him spiritually. He is able to see what he previously was unable to see. This, friends, is the power of the Holy Spirit at work. This is a mysterious act of the Holy Spirit when you and I are engaging with people. Come on, we've all had moments in classroom settings where the light bulb went off, right? Let me tell you one I'm just going to tell it myself. Let me tell you one that happened to me in a, in a church environment. I grew up in church, and I was far too old to have had this epiphany, but I did. Light bulb went off, and if I tell you the age, you're going to think a lot less of me, and I'll be very embarrassed, so I'm not going to tell you that. The age did begin with a one. And so, I remember sitting in church, I remember having this thought. Exodus. Huh. I think it's because they left. Exodus. Yep. Because they left. And then at the same moment, I went, Genesis. Huh. Beginnings. Appropriate. Had this sort of like aha moment, right? Now listen to me. What have been the aha moments in your life with the Lord? Where you once were blind, but now you see. You once were lost, but now you're found. You see, here's the trouble for us. If we're not careful, we just sort of meander through our relationship and following Jesus, and it becomes a social, a social status. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe. But there's not some sort of engagement. There's not some sort of knowing like, man, I, I used to be like this, but now I'm no longer like this. Because listen to me, if you're following Jesus and there hasn't been much change, can I, can I just offer this thought to you? You're probably, you're probably following Jesus philosophically. You're actually not following him as Lord and Savior of your life. And following Jesus philosophically, it can be done. And it's done by a lot of people. And it's why some people are so disenfranchised and so dissatisfied with Jesus. Because they're following him as a philosophy when he's actually invited you to follow him as a savior. <laughs> following him as a philosophy means that you and I can disagree with Jesus intellectually. You ever find yourself getting into that space where you're like, I don't really know if I, you know, believe that. As if the God of heaven and earth is upstairs going, oh my gosh, they don't believe. They've got a counterpoint. That's not what he's offered us. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's either a crazy person. He's a liar, or he's the Lord. Choose. 
And once you've decided and once you've made the decision, live out fully in one of those places. And can I just testify to you today? He is not a lunatic. I do not know him to be a liar. He is the Lord. But we experience that not when we follow him philosophically. We engage the heaven and earth, the God of heaven and earth, not as an idea to be studied or debated, but as a savior to know. And somebody in this room needs to hear this. You've been wrestling with the idea of Jesus and you have not surrendered to the savior of Jesus. And until you do that, you'll never be arrested by grace. You'll never be captivated by the mercy of God. And my prayer, friend, is that we will do that. The second thing that, he, that he's doing is not just making the, the mystery known to all men, but Paul's also doing something. And if we read the Bible, we pass over these things, and I just want us to, to see this and take notice. But he's also making known God's wisdom to the cosmic powers. You see this in verse 10. The principalities and the powers in heavenly places. What, what, is, what does this mean? The mystery that he's talking about is not some sort of abstract idea. It's taking concrete shape before people's eyes. And the way in which it takes place is how the church is gathered together. You see, the, the church is, is its strongest, not just when it's an, an orating people. But the church is its strongest when it is a demonstrating people. And the principalities and the powers, listen to me, I want us to be fully aware of this. Yes, we are talking about spiritual beings. Yes, we are talking about things that we cannot see that are happening out there. We wage war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We with this, we've read this. So here's what we all have to be aware of. There's some stuff going on that we can't see. There's demons, there's devils, there's angels, all of that. You're like, Charlie, do we believe in that? Yes, we do. And here's what we also need to be aware of. If we're trying to fight those things in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own ability, we are done for. But what Paul says is that the church should be making, making known the manifold wisdom of God. The mystery of God should be unfolded. Why? Because they're listening and the church has got to have something to say. It's like that hook Michael Jackson used to sing. I always feel like somebody's watching me. And I got no privacy. Oh, Y'all with it. They're watching. They're listening. And now, now hear me. Again, some of you, I don't know if this is going to be too like, woo, for, but, but track with me. James is in the back. James, was James here? James is fixing his flat tire, isn't he? James's trailer on the way to church gets a flat tire. We've had all sorts of issues happening up here in the midst of all this other. Do I think it is a coincidence that on the day that we are talking about, there are principalities and powers at work, and I'm just going to be the guy that pokes my finger in their noses, that that's not also going to be the same day that we have a blowout in a tire and we have all of this other stuff going on? See, some of you, you thought you had bad luck. And I've come to let some of you know that there are, there are devils and demons that see your life and know the will of God on your life, and they're going to attempt to mess with you. Now, if the story stops there, we live a life that's filled with anxiety. 
But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So listen to me. If we're not careful, we think we have to take this sort of waging war and this sort of fighting on our own. And it isn't. And I, listen, I've grown up in church environments where it, was, it felt like it was this sort of WWF Royal Rumble. Like everybody just gets in the ring and we're just fighting all sorts of stuff and then we're fighting each other and then you're like, that ain't it. The beautiful thing about Paul says is this. He says the mystery of God that's actually being unfolded, his mission and purpose in life was to preach the good news to the Gentiles, that the family of God is, enti- is, is to be one. Not just one people, but all people. Tracking with me? So N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says this, that this is one of the most powerful phrases and moments in the New Testament where the church realizes what their role and their job is, is to gather as one, unify all races, all socioeconomic positions, all ages, and gather together and worshiping the one true God, what that does is it lets the monochromatic thinking, shadow-living demons know what time it is in this place. You have no business here. You have no authority here. We are the people of God, and we're worshiping the one true God. There are some of you this morning that are like, that is more than I signed up for. And I just want to say this to you. Whether you signed up for it or not, the game's being played. So you might as well get a jersey and get on the field every now and then. Paul unfolding the gospel includes all of these things. See, the problem with the church in America is we've been offering a gospel that doesn't look anything like what Paul's preaching. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Y'all like to rile me up in this second service. We have a Baptist church in the first one. We got a Pentecostal church in the second one. No, just, just. Don't tell the first service, but this is who I really am. Don't tell them. They, they'll, they'll figure it out. Listen to me. If we're not careful, the gospel that we receive is is fractured version of this. So the gospel that we give is a fractured version of this. We take a gospel that says, God, you saved me from my sins, and that's beautiful, but it just doesn't stop there. Let's remind people of all that it is. So yes, it's a gospel that saves, but it's also a gospel that unifies. And here's where the church, this is where we gotta do better. Man, if God has saved you from your sins, and yet there's still enmity between you and your brother, then the gospel's not finished working in your life, friend. There's, There's more. There's more saving to be done. There's more saving to be done. There's more rescuing that needs to be done. There's two things I want you to grab hold of today as far as application. The first is this. You see in the beginning of the text, discover the grace on your life and then steward that grace. Discover the grace on your life, then steward that grace. Listen to me. Let me give you three ways that I've learned in my life, three things that I've learned in my life on how you can discover the grace of God on your life. Now, what I mean by grace of God is, is gifting talent, purposing, how God's designed you. And I use the word grace because it's a gift from God. He gives it to you. Some of you, you are so gifted in leadership. And let me just tell you, you didn't learn it. It's in you. It's a gift of God. How do you discover the gifts of God? Here's, how I've, here's some, some ways that I've learned in my life. One is to posture your heart in prayer and worship. 
Listen to me, there's a difference between attending environments that are prayerful and worshiping and actually being a worshiping person in yourself, a prayerful person in your life. You should be able to audit your, your, your time. Are you praying more now than you used to? This is a sign of maturity. Are you worshiping more now than you used to? This is not just singing, but it includes singing. Worship is actually when you begin to look at your life as an offering unto the Lord, not a fractured or segmented part of your life. You see this as worship, but when you show up on the job on Monday, you also see that as worship. And then when you go home, you see that as worship. On the golf course, you see that as worship. Thanks be unto God. I feel the Lord when I'm out there. It's worship. When I'm, when I'm driving in my car, when I'm eating a meal, when I'm, when I'm sitting doing nothing, it's worship. It's all worship. When we think that it's any sort of like segment and fragmented part, then we've, we've almost damaged the whole idea of worship. And worship is my entire life. What does Romans say? Paul says it this way. He says, listen, offer your entire life, your, your whole self. Just lay it on the altar. He says, this is your act of worship. What does it look like for you and I to go, God, I'm going to give you my career, but I'm also going to give you my relationships. And I'm also going to give you everything in between. Some of you in this room, you're really good at giving, giving God two-thirds of your life. You're good at giving God two-thirds but there's a remaining portion that you've yet to give him because you're actually afraid. You're afraid of what it means. And let's just get down to the, 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 to the let's get down to the nitty gritty, as uh, Nacho Libra would say. You don't want to give up the control. You're comfortable driving the car. And to give, and to give God the control means that you are no longer the captain of your vessel. And there are some of you in this place, you trust God to save you, but you have not trusted God to actually lead you in your life. And that's the space where he's, he's calling you into that unknown thing. He's calling you into that level and that type of worship. Discover the grace and then steward it. How are you going to live your life? Here, here's a beautiful sort of dynamic that I think the, the, the family of God offers. We've got to get into postures of, of prayer and worship. We have to wash our minds in the water of the word. Listen to me. How do you know what God has said unless you have, have read it in his word? Some of you live so 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 nervous on whether or not you're going to get the, hear God right or if you're going to hear the voice of God and you're, how do I do that? And you're trying to do it ex, like, apart from the word of God. And listen to me, the spirit will speak to you often in concert with the word of God. And the spirit of God is never going to say something to you that contradicts the word of God. I've been doing this for a long time and one of my favorite things to do is to meet with people and when they, when they say things like this, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I just feel like, man, man, God was saying this to me. And I'm like, hey, that's not even in the Bible. Like it's, not, it's not even close. Oh, me and God have an arrangement, do you? God's made a special arrangement with you that he just thought that he didn't want to put it in his word for everyone else. Just you, you're, you're the special student. That's not the way it works. Oftentimes when we say things like that, what we're actually doing is just pretending that God's co-signing on our own terrible behavior. 
Man, we got to be in God's word. We got to let the word wash us. Listen, there's just some times you need to get into the word and you just need to allow the word to wash over your mind. Don't try to find an application. Don't try to get to any sort of depth. Just let the word cover you. And for some of you, that idea is so foreign. And I'm telling you, the only way that you're going to grow and mature in your faith is if the word of God is present. Posture your heart in prayer and worship. Wash your minds in the water of the word. The other part here is is develop relationships that are primed for spiritual growth. Some of you are savages when it comes to networking. Like you're just, you're so good at it. You walk into a place and you immediately know the three people you're supposed to talk to. And you know how to work conversations to where you're going to get invited. You you, you just, you listen, you know how to do that. I'm not here to preach against networking. Do it, baby. Kill it. I'm for you. What I want you to take notice of is do you have that same kind of energy when it comes to your spiritual growth? Are you looking for people in conversations that can actually help grow you in your spirit? It's the beautiful part of, of gathering as a community of faith. And there are people here that have lived and walked with God longer than some of you in this room have been alive. They might have something to say about following Jesus. Ask them. Listen, if you're here and you've been married less than five years, you know what you need to do? Find somebody that's been married for 15. And go invite them to dinner. Pay for their dinner. And ask them, excuse me, and ask them questions. Nicole and I did this when we were on our way towards getting married. You know what we started doing before we were going to have kids? We started meeting with parents who had kids that weren't hellions. You know what I don't want is to ask advice on how to raise parents when your kids act terrible. No thanks. You don't know anything. Listen to me. You get to choose who you're having conversations with. And I'm just telling you, if you don't do that, if you don't have people in your life that you can actually lean into these relationships, and it can be iron sharpening iron, where they're just co-signing your ideas. Some of you, you're only, the only relationships you have are just people that are going, like, oh, you should do that. That's best. Man, I pray that you'll go after that. You need some people in your life that will tell you no. You need to be able to share something with somebody, and then they go, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> or that, it's not time for that. Some of you, your marriages would have lasted if you'd have had people around you that could have told you some good truth. But you have people around you. They didn't care nothing about their marriage and didn't care nothing about yours. And I'm just listening to me. If we're going to be the people of God, we got to act different. If we're going to be the people of God, we got to construct our lives differently. I'm grateful for the people that I have, the people I have in my life that can, that can say to me, hey, Troy, that's not, that ain't God's best for you. I was in Paris and I had a friend text me. He said, I woke up and I was thinking about you. I was reading this and then this thought came to my mind. He sent me a long text. And I remember, I remember just thinking, I'm like, man, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that encouragement. I'm so grateful that I got, I got friends in, in my life that will do that. I'm so grateful that I got a wife that will look at me and say, man, you need to go pray. I don't like how you're being. Go read your Bible. Man, that's a, listen, that's a gift. That's a gift. And I'm just telling you, that, is not, that doesn't happen in your life by accident. That happens by design. Not default, design. Some of you need to take advantage of, of city groups. And you need, to find, you need to find some people that you do. And listen to me. It's not going to be the first city group you go to. You might go to a city group and you're like, man, these are a bunch of dorks. Don't go back. 
don't know if I'm supposed to say these things, Jay, but correct me later. Like, you may go to, you may go to two groups. You know, maybe people are all whack. Then maybe you're supposed to lead a group and all the cool people come to your house. But get engaged in community. If it's just this for you, I mean, you're scratching the surface. And I'm nervous that the seed of the word of God is not going to take root in your life and it's going to get snatched up by something else. And we've got we've to discover and we've got to steward the grace on our life. Here's, here's a, an adage that I've lived my life by. God bestows the gifts on us, but the communities that we are in confirm those gifts. I had the thought as a teenager, man, I think God's called me to be a pastor. But I'm grateful that I had some people around me that go, Charlie, I see this in you, and this is what you're supposed to do. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Some of you need somebody in your life that can say that. Hey, I see, I see this in your life. I see the activity of God here. And lean into that, pursue that, and go for that. The last thing is, is simply this, and, and you see Paul saying this at the end, and I think this is just a phrase I want us to live with. Live with boldness and be fully aware of the access that we have, of our access to God. Live with boldness. Don't you see that with Paul? Paul don't care. That's, I, want us to get, we, I want us to be a bunch of people that we just don't care. Because the gospel, the good news is worth it. Souls are worth it. People knowing Jesus is worth it. It's worth people thinking whatever they want to think about us. It's worth us not maybe getting invited to something or not being let into another. It's worth whatever it would cost. Paul's in a prison. He's bold. And I pray that we have that same boldness. But you know where I think that boldness comes? When we embrace the access that we have to the presence of God. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy, the Bible says. At the right hand of God, there are our pleasures forevermore. The presence of God is where peace resides. The presence of God is where anointing and power is bestowed upon his people. It's where the giftedness is laid on your shoulders and when it comes to the forefront of your mind. It's his presence, friends. It's presence. And some of us are acting like we don't got access to it. We've been behaving like we, we can't go boldly into the throne room of grace. Some of you enter into worship environments and you're hung up on your faithfulness, not worshiping God because of his faithfulness. And think about the access that you have. The God of heaven and earth, the God of the universe. Can't wait to hear you call his name. Man. You see, you can't have a boldness without the access. You know what I found in life? My seasons of boldness in the Lord are in direct connection and relationship to my taking advantage of the access that I have to God's presence. Some of you right now, I'd be willing to bet if you're lacking a boldness in your life, you're probably not taking advantage of the presence of God. So this is what we need to do. If we're going to be people that share the good news, if we're going to be people that are telling of what God has done, it's going to require a level of boldness. I'm convinced the, the longer the Lord tarries, the bo more boldness it will require to live for him. And we live in a country right now where it's, it, we're still, I get real nervous whenever, like for us as Americans in the West, we use words like persecuted. Like nobody got set on fire this week. But there are places in, there in this world where people, for the cause of Christ, 
They're being imprisoned. They're being lit on fire. They're losing their heads. Their families are being killed. These are realities. And I'm just telling you, it's going to take a boldness to live for him. It's going to take a boldness to take a stand. But that boldness comes when we spend time in his presence first. Will you bow your heads with the prayer with me? Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you, God, for the good news, the gospel. We thank you, God, that it, it is for our salvation. It reconciles us to God, but it is also not just for us. It's the good news for all people. I just wonder if you're here today. You say, Charlie, I need to respond to the good news. I've got to respond to Jesus. Not as an idea, not as a philosophy, but as Lord. I need to bow my knee and to surrender my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You have, the, you have the privacy in this room, in this moment, but I want to pray with you. If that's you, and you know it, you don't need convincing, you don't need time, you know it. I'm just going to ask you on the count of three just to lift your hand. I want to pray with you. You say, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. One, two, three. Are you here? Amen, amen, amen. Anyone else? You hear you've been wrestling with that philosophy of Jesus. But now you want to experience him as Savior. Yeah, amen. See that hand. Thanks, man. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Are you here? And you say, Charlie, I just, I want a boldness. You say, man, I believe I've been following Jesus, but man, I just think there's a, an extra measure of boldness that I, I want to live with. I want it to translate where I, I share my faith. I want it to translate where I, I have a heart for others and I care about other people hearing the good news. I don't want to keep it for myself. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, God, I just want a boldness. Yeah. I just want a boldness. I just want a boldness. I want a boldness like Paul. That's what I was praying this week. God, give me a boldness like Paul. Riot or revival, doesn't matter, but I'm sharing the good news. Yeah. God, you see our hands. God, you know us. You know the places where our feet will land. You know the desires of our heart. So God, would you take us deep into your presence first? Take us into your presence that we might know you. Take us into your presence that you might strengthen us. But then God, would you give us a boldness when we come out? That regardless of what we face, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what it's said about us, the good news will be on our lips. Church, we stand to your feet all across this room. I've had a number of people lift their hand today that they wanted to declare Jesus as Lord. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want every person in this room to pray this. Some of you praying it for the first time. Some of you praying it just kind of as a return. But I want you to hear every voice in this room. 
praying this. If you're starting this journey of following Jesus, now we're here, we're with you, we're alongside you, uh, even at the very beginning of this prayer. So Hill City, let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for dying on a cross. For my sin, you gave your life so that I would have life, life everlasting. I believe, I receive the finished work of Jesus who was dead, buried, and he rose again. And I'll follow him all of my life. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate? Come on, let's put our hands together. Yeah. So may you leave here today. And may the eyes of your heart be open. But may also the words that you speak do some opening in the lives of the people that you come in contact with. May the good news not just simply be the story internally, but may the good news be everything that comes external from your life. May they see Jesus as Lord and no other. And let every demon that's watching, let every hell that attacks know who our God is. Grace and peace. We love you, church.